It is good to have you today. Happy, look at somebody, happy 4th of July. Would you say happy 4th of July? It is, uh, uh, those of you that may not know me, I'm the, I'm the father of the pastor of the church here, and I used to pastor here many years. And uh, it's been, um, I think, 40-some years, and most of you I do know. Uh, but let me just say this to start with. One of, the, one of the things when I used to pastor here, and I did this for 40-some years, and I would teach Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, and then an evangelist would come in, and, and he would have, and what he would do is he would take the best of everything he had and put it all into one sermon, and I could tell, nobody would say it, but I could feel it from everybody say, boy, if he was just here every Sunday, it would be fantastic, and I used to think, no, he wouldn't be fantastic if he was there every Sunday. What I, what I, let me tell you what I appreciate. I appreciate more is Sunday after Sunday, the depth that Ben is doing. Isn't that fantastic? Let's give him a good thank you. Isn't that great? And uh, so uh, a couple, a few weeks ago, I was over in Hammond preaching for Mike Bush at his church. And I took a lot of, you know, sermons from, you know, 40 years and combined them all together. And like you could just tell, thinking, boy, he's fantastic. It's so funny to watch it uh, transpire. But I got a few things I want to say. First, I want you to look at this uh, video. This is a video. We've got a buddy. How many know Buzz Tremaine? You know Buzz Tremaine? Most of you know him. Buzz's dad was 94 years old, and he's in a a nursing home, and he caught COVID-19. And uh, watch this. Here's a video of this. Watch this. This is him coming back after he whipped COVID-19. Come on, watch it. Look at the side he holds up. Watch this. <laughs> you read that? I'm not COVID-19 now. Come on, son. He's 94 years old. And I like this. Watch this. And so Buzz, <laughs> Buzz put a, a video up uh, and of, uh, of uh, uh, characterizing this another way. Watch this. This is what Buzz put up on the, on the thing. This is his dad, the rhino. All right. And this is COVID-19 is his car. Now, watch this. And they're okay. The people are okay in the car, all right? Just, just so you know. <laughs> His caption underneath this video was, my dad knocked COVID-19 out of the park. Come on, somebody. Isn't that great? And uh, so we've done that. Now, one thing I do want to do for Ben... Uh, Wally, do you have my, my dogs can't read MRIs? Here's, you know, everybody I think knows Ben's love for uh, cats. Let me know Ben's love for cats. And I just thought he would enjoy this, uh, this little uh, uh, thing. It's, it's, it, this, is a, this is a little thing I saw a few months ago. And what we did was I gave it to Wally in the back. I said, Wally, next time Ben starts talking and showing his love for cats, put this up real quick. And so, uh, do we, do we have it? Uh, I, you may not have got my text. I did it. They're, they're hunting for it. I said, next time he starts talking about cats, put this up on the screen for me and, uh, let's see if we can get it. It takes a minute to get all this going. Yeah. Let's see if we can get it. Does it take, take a minute to grab it? Yeah. Oh, Ben deleted it. Is that what? <laughs> 
Okay, I'll go ahead and start. As soon as you get it, put it up there, and y'all notion to me that it's up there, all right? And then there was one other video I think I had. Um, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. While we're doing that, I, I, you know, there's mandatory to wear masks now, right? In East Baton Rouge, you're supposed to be wearing masks. And, <laughs> and so I came up with my own mask. So I want you to see this. Here's my mask that I've, I, and, and any of you want it, I can share some with you. What's, what's this? I got them probably all confused. I've got them probably out of their program. And... <laughs> anybody, would, anybody would like this mask? I, I made these masks so you guys can. Uh... I did this in honor of my mom and dad. My mom and dad, I don't know how many of you grew up, but growing up every morning, we had bacon and gravy. I mean, every morning of our life, and they lived to be 86, 87 years old. But we had bacon and gravy and sausage and uh, eggs, and that's what we had every morning, so did that. All right, did we get our other little pick? Did we were able to grab it off of there or no? I know because, see, we got a whole program. You got to go out of it to grab stuff and I mess up, try to just bypass it. I can't see in the mirror back there. Uh, no. Hey. Yeah. Oh, Buzz's dad only had one lung. 94 years old. Almost 95. He beat COVID-19. How many thought when God's on your side, all things are possible? All right. Okay, we're going, we'll skip that, and then we'll show that another time and do it. All right. Today we're going to talk about what's called the footman and the horseman. Let's go to uh, Jeremiah chapter 12. This is, a, this is a thought. Over 50-some years ago, my pastor before me, Randy Bonacarso, uh, used this scripture. And I have never forgotten this in, in 50 years of my life. And it was a story of Jeremiah where it says, But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me and you have tested my heart towards you. Pull them out like sheep for slaughter. <laughs> How many think that's not very nice to say like that? You uh, says, oh, righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead. Oh, oh, that's a different one up there. Let's go, down, let's go back down here. Righteous are you, O Lord, when I plead with you. Yet let me talk with you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? You have planted them, yes, they have taken root. They grow, yes, they bear fruit. You are near their their mouth, but far from their minds. But you, O Lord, know me. You have seen me, and you have tested my heart toward you. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. Prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long will the land mourn and the herbs of the field wither? The beasts and the birds are consumed for the wickedness of those who dwell there, because they said he will not see our final end. And here is God responds to Jer- that's Jeremiah verses one through four and verse five is God responds to Jeremiah. Here's what he says. If you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, then how can you contend with horses? And if in the land of peace in which you trusted, they wearied you, then how will you do in the floodplain of the Jordan? I want to talk to you today about the footman and the horseman. Everybody say that with me. Say the footman and the horseman. Let's pray. Father, we need you, Lord. We, we lean upon you, Lord. You're our everything. And Father, we thank you for opening our eyes today. Lord, we ask you that if you would um, go beyond just our minds, but Lord, let it sink into our hearts. It becomes a part of us. The Lord, it becomes so, so strengthens our faith that we love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Everybody said a good amen. In that day, you're living around 600 B.C., which is a long time ago. 
And in that day, there were three powers that were fighting. It was Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon was contending for world, world power. Just sort of like today, the different nations of the world contending for world supremacy. And Babylon now has become the world power. It's dominated Assyria, dominated Egypt. And Babylon now is about to come and go and, and defeat the land of, of uh, uh, Judah. Israel has already gone into captivity. Remember, the nation of Israel split into Israel and Judah. Israel has already gone into captivity. And now the only, the only part left is called Judah and Benjamin. And they're about to be brought into captivity because of their sin. And God calls Jeremiah. And Jeremiah goes on the scene and he begins to prophesy that the nation is going to be defeated by the nation of Babylon. How many know that's not very patriotic? That'd be like if someone started prophesying that Russia was going to defeat America. And they begin to say it over and over. So, so what happens is uh, the people in Jeremiah's hometown did not like. He was from Anatoth. And, and he, that is only right outside Jerusalem. And in fact, his own family got upset with him. How many has ever had your own family upset with you? Anybody had your own family upset with you at times? His own family got upset with him because of the message he was saying from God. If you look back, look at Jeremiah chapter 11. He says, therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the men of Anathoth who seek your life. <laughs> saying, do not prophesy. Don't say those kind of things. Don't tell us that Babylon's going to defeat us. And so uh, he goes to God. And what he does is God speaks to him. And, and he's, God says, I'm going to pluck them up. But what happens is instead of that happening, the men began to, to as if they were prospering. And in Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah goes to the Lord and he begins to question how God is doing things. Has anybody in here ever questioned how God is doing things? And so what he is, he's all upset. I mean, he's, he's doing everything God told him to do. He's in a pit. He's in down in, I mean, he's being tormented, da-da-da. He's being, he's being threatened by his family and by his hometown. We're going to kill you. And here's what he does. He goes to God and he says, righteous. You know, we all start this way, right? Oh, God, you're so good. Oh, God, we love. Oh, God, we trust. Oh, God, you're righteous. Oh, God, we trust you. Uh, When I play with you. Yeah, everybody say yet. (laughs) Yet. Can we talk? That's what he says. He said, can we talk? He said, let me talk to you about how you're doing things. How you're allowing things to take place. How you're allowing this and that and this and that. And he said, let me talk to you about your judgments. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are those happy who deal so treacherously? Why are the rioters being able to do what they want to do and not get, you know, whatever. And I can't do nothing and I get a ticket and I get that. out of Why does, Lord, why is all this taking place? And uh, what happens is he's all upset about how God is doing things. He's very upset about God is not immediately dealing with every situation he says needs to be dealt with. Let me tell you something about God. God has got his own time clock. If you haven't realized that yet, God does not work on our time scale. He does not work on our time frame. God has his own time frame. In fact, you read throughout the Bible, God says it over and over. Peter says that God is is not mocked. God is not slow. But that he is unwilling that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Uh, in fact, in the book of Luke, uh, Jesus is asked, why did these guys die? And he said, you know those that the Tower of Siloam fell on? He said, you think they were worse sinners than all the rest of the sinners in, in Jerusalem? And he said, no, they weren't. He said, but he never gives an explanation of why God allowed that. 
only that God who is in control. And so when you begin to do that, Jeremiah calls to attention that behind all of the taking place, he said, God, can I talk? Can we talk? I don't know why you're allowing what you're allowing. I don't know what's going on. Let me tell you something about self-pity. Self-pity will never get the attention of God. You can let your, I've heard people pray, oh, 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 God. It it, it can sound so pitiful when they're praying. Let me tell you something about God. God is moved by faith. And so when you begin to, when you get in the self-pity party, you might as well just set a table for one because God is not showing up at your self-pity party. Thank you. Amen. And so Jeremiah, so Jeremiah's in the self-pity. He speaks in verse 5. And, and, and in verse 5, God speaks to him when he's sitting at his pity party table. And here's what God says. He says, if you have run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how are you going to do when the horses come? He said, if this is wearing you out, if this has got you knocked down, if this has got you to where you can't even breathe and and you're so upset and you're so... Because he said, and and the key was this, what he was talking about was this, Babylon was about to come on the land of Israel. There was about to be war in the the land. But right now during that time, the land was at peace. There was no problems going on. All Jeremiah was dealing with was hometown problems, little family problems. And he said, don't you know the day is coming when it's going to get bad? Don't you understand that you're just living right now in the day in the time of peace? And these are just like, like little footmen you're fighting. The horses are coming. Don't you know I'm trying to get you ready for the horses? And the only way to do that is to let you fight some footmen along the way to where you grow some muscles and some spiritual stamina. And so the Bible says, he speaks to him and said, he said, well, all I'm trying to do is prepare you for what's coming down the road. God is trying to do something. I've learned this in my life. God never wastes one thing that happens to your life. He is always using all things together for the good of your life. He's getting you ready for something down the road. See, sometimes we judge things before the time. Never judge. Paul wrote that. He said, never judge anything before the time. How many of you have ever been totally mistaken in your estimation of the situation? And then later on, you learn something. And he said, how dumb I was. How many of you raise kids? If you raise kids, you've been there, done that many, many times. So God is trying to do something in your life. Listen, God is trying to prepare you. What he does, he does for our good. I love it with the Lord. I love it. You know, Paul, you know, God doesn't drop. When you die, God is not going to just drop victory into your life. And when you get to heaven, you're going to be transformed. And all these qualities are going to be in you. Somehow we think that when we die... And we raise up on the other side that we're going to be so, so um, better in our temperament and so better in our our minds. And so and, and let me tell you what I believe. I believe this is where we form many of the things going to happen down there because the Bible says God is going to reward each man according to his deeds. And that some people will reign over this. Some people reign over more. Some people. Why will God, if, if everybody's equal when we get on the other side, if we're all the same and we're equal on the other side, why will some, the rewards be greater than the others? You know why I believe? I believe because of what you do on this. These 70, 80 years that we've got is, is will it determine your eternity. Not only where you spend it, heaven or hell, but how you spend heaven. 
Because think about this. That was why God, that's why we're learning here. That's what God's doing in our life here. That's why he's allowing things in our life. Listen, if you think that all you got is these 70 or 80 years, and so you're, a, you're bummed out because you didn't get this, you didn't get that, you got short change here, you got this, you got that. Let me tell you, God's working all things together for the good. He's preparing you for an eternity. He's got things for you down on the other side. And listen, you need to produce on this side. You need to learn on this side. You need to let God grow you on this side. In fact, in the Corinthians, Paul wrote them and, and they, were, they were suing each other. And he wrote him, he said, don't you know, they were taking each other to court. And he said, isn't there anybody in your church can judge these things? Anybody can be a judge? He said, he said don't you know that you will judge angels on the other side? You're going to be judges. You're going to be rulers. Listen, you learn these things. But the things that we go through now, they are simply the horsemen. I mean, the the footmen. We're going to face the horsemen. I like what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians. Watch this. If you think think you've got it bad for COVID-19, it is so horrible. Yeah, you had air conditioning last night. Most of you don't look like you missed a meal yet. Come on, somebody. Few of you need to go see the barber shop because I can tell you cut your own hair. I can tell that, you know, real quick. How many of you, how many of you did your own hair cutting for a while? Let's see. Yeah, a few of you. I can tell you did your own hair cutting. <coughs> so let's read this. <coughs> we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are, you know what perplexed means? Perplexed means I don't know what to do. I don't know. Did you know the Apostle Paul at times in his life did not know what to do? I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. For our, have I say light. <laughs> I love that because he says, for our, what, what was his light affliction? What was his light affliction? Well, he had a toenail, you know, having, giving him problems. He had, you know, a, a, a wart, you know, he had, look what, like, look, look, look go to, um, uh, chapter 11. Look look at his light. Affl- Here's his light afflictions. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequently in deaths, in deaths. Do you read that? Go back, go back there. in deaths often. You know, he said one time, he said, I knew a man in Christ 14 years ago who was caught up to heaven. Do you know when he was caught up to heaven? When I believe he was caught up to heaven? When he got stoned that day. <laughs> he got caught up to heaven. How many know you can't go to heaven without dying? And he said, and, I mean, they stoned him one time. Took him out the city, stoned him. And the Bible says that the disciples went there and started pulling the big boulders off of him that they killed him with. And that's when he went to heaven. Well, in death often from the Jews five times, I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I have been in the deep with my legs dangling and the sharks everywhere. In journeys often in perils of water, perils of robbers, perils of my own countrymen, perils of the Gentiles, perils in the city, perils in wilderness, perils in the sea, perils among false brethren. And I know your COVID-19 problem is so horrible. I know your problems are so much worse than the Apostle Paul ever experienced in his entire life. I don't know why you just don't head quit. Just quit and just give it all. Listen, when he, and then go back to, to chapter four, he said, our light affliction. <laughs> Everybody say our light affliction. Our, he says, our light affliction. 
Because he believed. He, did, he didn't, he, listen, he said, for we know. He didn't say, I think about it. I, I think it might be. He said, I know all things work together for the good. I know it. And so he writes and he says, listen, I know this. I love Acts chapter 5. I love what it says in Acts 5 because they brought, they brought the disciples and they agreed with him. And when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council crying and complaining and wondering why God was so unfair to them. And why, after all they did for God, here's what God did for... Is that what they did? The Bible says they re-what? They rejoiced that they had been counted worthy to suffer shame for His name's sake. Can I get a Baptist amen in this house today? Amen. I love what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1. He says, I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have been... So undeserved. What have I, Jesus? The things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. The word furtherance there is a Greek word that was used in that day of woodchoppers. That would go ahead of an army because many times the army advancing, if they got and they happened to hit an area where the, 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 the road had to go narrow and forest on each side. And so it would, it would confine the army from moving ahead. What that word furtherance was used was woodchoppers. They would send woodchoppers. The armies would send, Roman army would send woodchoppers out ahead of them. And they would clear the forest so that when the armies approached, they would not be slowed down. Can I tell you every problem you've had in your life is a woodchopper God has sent out ahead of you so that when you get to the next part of your, your war, your fight, whatever it is, your journey, that it won't slow you down. Would you look at the problem? Paul said, the things that's happened to me, they've been woodchoppers sent out before the great army of, of the living God and they're preparing and keeping me from being slowed down later on. Come on, somebody, say amen. So he says that, so, and, and, and I could very well, be, listen, you know, one of the things I learned is Brother Eccles was an old pastor that I grew up under many years ago. And I used to go out on Comet Drive up near uh, Plank Road and go meet with him at his house. He taught me how to eat watermelon. Uh, he taught me that, that, that I, and I was single back then. And, he, and his wife kept trying to match me up with somebody in their church and da, da, da. And, and so, but I remember one time he looked at me and said, Brother Terry, he said, let me tell you something. He said, you know, the Bible says when Jesus comes back, Jesus said this, that, they, that they, right before he comes back, that there will be a time of trouble on the earth that there never has been nor ever will be again. And he said, and everybody wants Jesus to come back. Everybody said, oh, I hope, oh, Jesus, come back, Lord. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But what happens is when times get bad like we're in now, we're all praying, oh, God, oh, God, let it get better. Oh, God, I, oh, God, I want it to get better. Oh, God, turn this around. Oh, God, make this a great place. again. Oh, God, let the world be at peace. Oh, God, oh, God bye, bye, bye. And brother says, how silly. He said, because if it gets better, it's got to get worse again before Jesus can come back. Come on, somebody. It's like everybody wants to die, but nobody wants to die right now. How many, how many know that nobody wants to die right now? And the biggest mistake, let me tell you something about the end time. The biggest mistake you can make. One, one Wednesday night, I did, I did a teaching on whether you believe the Lord was coming back, was, whether the rapture was going to occur, the, the gathering together with the Lord, whether that was occurred before what was called the, the tribulation, which is seven years of tribulation up, coming upon the earth. 
uh, we, some people believe that the church is going to be taken up, raptured, or gathered together before the seven years. Some believe it's going to happen in the middle of the seven years. And some believe it's going to happen at the end. And what I did on a Wednesday night, I said, well, here we're going to be. Everybody came to church on that Wednesday night. I said, here's what I want to do. If you believe that you're going to be before the tribulation, I want you to stand. I want you to sit over here. If you believe we're going to be taken up in the middle, I want all of you to stand right here. I sit right here. And if you believe we're going to be taken up after at the end of the tribulation, I want all of you over here. So, so the whole the congregation, uh, it was about this crowd, split up that way. So then what we began to do was that night we talked and we debated and, and we debated for each side. And I said, in the middle of tonight, if you get convinced of the other way, I want you to stand up and move to the other section. And you should have seen this. During the debate, people got up all night long. They'd get up, they'd move over, then they'd get back, they'd move back. Then that one move over here, then this one move over here, and this one move over here. And so whether or not, so I don't know where you stand on what you believe about when the Lord is coming to take the church. But let me tell you this, the worst thing you can ever do is not be wrong about the timing of the event. Listen very carefully. The worst thing you can ever do is not to be wrong about the timing for before, middle, or after. The worst thing you can do, the worst thing you can do is not be wrong about the timing, but to be wrong about preparation for it. Irma, remember Irma hit, I think it was 2007, I think it was 17, it hit Florida, remember that? Uh, the, the, the largest, most powerful hurricane ever recorded in history of mankind at that time. It was hitting Florida. They were interviewing people on the news. And you just see, they interviewed this old woman. Here's the greatest hurricane about to hit that's ever been recorded in the history of mankind. Ma'am, what have you done to prepare you could see her eyes just kind of, and she said, well, I brought in my trash cans. The greatest, most powerful hurricane ever recorded in history, about to hit the Florida panhandle, and she brought in her trash cans. Well, let me tell you about a spiritual uh, category 10 hurricane about to hit. Jesus said, from the beginning of creation until now and forever, there is going to come a time that has never been upon the face of the earth. And the worst thing you can do is not be wrong about the timing, pre, post, or, or, or later. Well, I just brought in my spiritual trash cans. That's all I've done. Let me tell you what I've done. There were over 20, 20, uh, you read them, it's a different sermon, different time. There are 20 things that Jesus exhorted those that would be living during that time to prepare for. There were 20, 20 exact things that he said, do this, do this, do this, do, get ready, prepare, do this, do that. When, when it's happened, do this, do that, prepare. I love this because, listen, preparation is so important. Jesus wouldn't come unless he sent a, a prepper. He prepared his way. John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what, that's what the whole purpose of John the Baptist was, to prepare the way of the Lord. You think, well, what, if, well let me tell you how, how, how important preparation is. Jesus just didn't show up on the scene. He sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. 
I, I remember, uh, you remember Joseph being thrown in prison and, and finally he's been in prison many, many years and Pharaoh has a dream and nobody else can interpret it no, because Pharaoh won't tell them what the dream is. You've got to know the dream and then interpret the dream. And God gives, God gives Joseph the dream. And it, it's, it's basically, there's going to be, you know, seven great years. And then, then there's going to be seven bad, bad years. In fact, the dream was like one with seven cows. And then up came seven scrawny cows that ate up the, the, the seven fat cows. And they were still scrawny. And so it was, it was perplexing. And Joseph is given the interpretation. There's going to be seven plentiful years. And then there's going to be seven years so bad it's going to swallow up the seven good years. That was the prophecy. That's what's going to happen. And so everybody, so here's the last thing. What, what Joseph did was, listen, what Joseph did was he prepared for the bad years. He didn't just sit back to Kesara. I remember in the movie Doris Day, Kesara, Sara, whatever will be, will be. He didn't, he didn't live that way. You know what he did? He said, God showed me what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen. Seven great years, seven lean years. And he didn't just say, well, nothing be done. I mean, that's just the way God said that's what's going to happen. You know what he did? He prepared in those seven years. He prepared for those seven bad years. And instead of, of, of going down the drains during those seven bad years, he prospered during those seven years. And what can happen in your life is, no, listen, what we're dealing with, listen, COVID-19, is, is footmen. It's, it's just preparing us, getting us ready. There's coming on the face of the earth. If you believe Jesus is about to come back again, then we're about to face the horses. We're about to face the really bad times. So I tell people this, get ready. Don't get all down in the dumps. Learn to prepare for things. I love this. Here's one of the 20 things that Jesus said. If you believe that we're living in the last days, here's one of the 20 things Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24. But he who endures, chapter 24, is he's talking about the end times and he's coming back and all that. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Everybody say endure, would you? He that, let me tell you, if you want to know one of the things that I could encourage you beyond anything else to prepare for what's about to happen. Let God produce endurance in your life. Let God produce endurance in your life. Let God produce endurance in your life. I love James 1, 2 through 4 in the Phillips translation. When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but Welcome them as friends. What's this? When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brother, don't resent them as intruding into my life. This COVID-19 has intruded into my life, my, my business, my, 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 my future, my, my family. My, this intruder has intruded into my life. And James says, don't do that. Don't resent them. Say, hello, good old friend, COVID-19. Come on, somebody. Hello, good old friend, COVID-19. Realize that they come to test your faith. How many has had your faith tested? 
recently. And to produce in you the quality of what? Well, that's one of, uh, what, 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 oh yeah, Jesus said that that was one of the qualities needed in the end time. To produce in you endurance. Everybody say endurance, would you? I always say this over and over. How do you think you can ever produce long suffering without God giving you something to suffer over a long time? Everybody wants microwave endurance. Everybody wants microwave long suffering. Oh yeah, I want, I want, I want, I want long suffering. <laughs> He's got to give you something to suffer over a long time. Well, your excitement just bowls me over. For the past two decades, let me tell you this, having watched you know, from a pulpit, for the past two decades or more, the church has been enveloped in a comfort syndrome. That is that God wants us to be so comfortable and so prosperous and so you name it. And, and, that's, and that's how our mentality has come that we ought to be. And, and if we're ever going through a challenge, ever going through a problem, ever going through a sickness, ever going through whatever, that somehow we're not victorious. And I can tell you something that is absolutely wrong. Listen, God, listen quick fixes that don't fix. I wrote this down, hype over holiness, style over substance, deception over, over discipline, devotion, uh, you know, delusion over duty, and euphoria over, over uh, endurance. One of the biggest things you can happen, happen in your life is you need to know how to endure. When Judas betrayed Jesus and they had to get a 12th apostle to replace him, do you know what the criteria they used? It wasn't who's performed the most miracles. Who's done the most. You know what they did? They looked for somebody that had been with us when Jesus went in and when Jesus went out. They were faithful. They were endured when Jesus was with us and when Jesus was not with us. That's exactly the criteria they looked for. And the book of Acts, the Bible says. So when we listen, we've forgotten the joy of endurance. I've learned this. The Bible says happy in James. Happy are those that endure. What's endurance? Webster says it's the ability to last. Endurance is the ability to last. Uh, we had into one service, a man turned and, 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 well, and said, uh, they told us to welcome people. My name's Joe, whatever. What's your name? And she said, my name's Glad it's done. He said, I'm glad it's done too. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Some of you need to learn how to endure. Um, ability to last. It's the ability to stand in there. Um, you know, I love what, one of my greatest guys, I love, to, I love history, and I love studying different men of history. And one of those was Winston Churchill. I loved Winston Churchill. And uh, he said one time, he said, a bulldog's nose is slanted backwards so that he can bite and breathe at the same time. That ought to be in the Bible somewhere. I mean, that really ought to be in the Bible somewhere. He can bite and breathe at the same time. I love what Second uh, Timothy said. Second Timothy 2 says, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus. You must endure hardship. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You must endure hardship. How many of you in here have had uh, kids that went into the military? Let's see, how many have had kids that go into the military? Oh, numbers of had kids in the military. Well, you know, I always say this. I always say, listen, the military, the purpose of the military was to take mama's little fat biscuit eater and turn him into a lean, mean fighting machine. 
What happens is, what happens is, you know, the recruiter many times is telling one story that is unlike anything they're about to experience once they get into the military. Because what happens is, here's mama's little fat biscuit eater coming into the military. And the first thing they do is they cut off all, I mean, they take the razor and they, they just they take all your hair off right there. Then they take away your designer jeans and they give you a, a, a set of clothes <laughs> that is indescribable. The, you know, it comes up to your chest, the pants do, the arms hangs over your thing. Uh, they, 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 uh, they, they start feeding you food that 24 hours before you wouldn't even have fed your dog. Come on, somebody. And then they get you out there. They march you all day long. They run you to bet you hand in line. They make you dig holes, and then they have you fill those holes back in. They go on. They, then they, you fall over in the bed, and about the time your eyes close, they come in with a swagger stick beating a can. Get up, you bunch of meatballs. Get up, you bunch of meatballs. And, and, the, and this, they don't ask your opinion because they don't think you're smart enough to have one. Come on, somebody. But little by little by little, they're turning mama's little fat biscuit eaters into a lean, mean fighting machine. That when, that when that officer gives that command, that soldier doesn't say, well, let's see, there's 40 of them and 20 of us. That's a 50 percentile that I won't make it back. Scratch that. They don't do that. They obey without hesitation. And Paul said, you must endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You don't get that sitting around and the Holy Ghost said, you want another biscuit, huh? You want another helping of this, huh? What did you ask your every command is my You don't get to be like, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You need to get out of this comfort syndrome that, that, that God is in, our, in, in, in there to, to provide our every whim, our every need. We're here for him. We do what he says. We go where he says. We do what he says. We obey what he says. Come on, somebody. We, we listen to the Lord, and the Lord does it. You know, when you do that, you begin to grow up. And, and some of you are in the secret service part of the division of the army, but you need to grow. My, uh, my, favorite, my favorite story of uh, endurance was the boy in college. And uh, he was studying zoology. Uh, now, listen. I want all the kids to know that what this boy said, his mama whipped him for it. So just know that ahead of time. All the kids, what this boy said, his mama whipped him for it. But he was in college, and he was, he was flunking out. And uh, his dad said, all right, that son, that's it. I paid enough, you know, college tuition semesters. You flunk this semester, and you go to the Army. And so, I mean, he was, he was, in the, he was studying zoology. And so he went, and he began to study, 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 study. He memorized all those silly long names of all the animals. And he studied, and he studied. And for three days, he didn't sleep. He, he came into the classroom. Uh, he was he was bleary eyed, red eyed. Uh, he was carrying his book pack. Uh, he 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 was you know, and he sat down at his at his at one of his chairs, and he looked way down on the platform. And there, and there at the podium was ten birds, and all you could see of them, there was a sack over every bird of the of ten. All ten birds had sack over their head, and all you could see of the birds was their legs. And it was the weirdest thing he ever saw in his life. And all that here strode in the professor a few minutes later, took a piece of chalk, wrote up on the board, name these 10 birds by their legs. This is your final exam. Threw the piece of chalk down. This boy began to hear military taps in his ears. He knew. He lost it. I mean, he absolutely lost it. 
Now, children, he got whipping for what he just said. He, he got up, threw his books down on the thing, and shouted, This is a stupid exam! And this is a stupid college, and you are a stupid professor! And that professor was so angry, he ran all the way up there and said, Boy, what is your name? That boy jumped up on the chair, pulled his pants and said, You guess, professor, you guess. <laughs> My favorite story. <laughs> How much can you endure? How much can you endure? Winston Churchill, I loved him. I loved him during the wars and I read his works when, during World War II and during Britain's darkest hours of World War II when overwhelming defeat looked imminent. If you don't know the history, you know, I mean, Hitler and the Nazis had run over every other country. Many of the countries just gave up without even a fight. The ones that did fight didn't last long. He went, elected, you know, and, and he would walk the battle streets of, of England, of, of London, when the bombs were falling and the bombs were falling. And he would say over and over, listen, victory is ours. Victory is ours. I love what he said. He said, we shall fight on the beaches, fight on the, on the streets, fight in the hills. Sounds like one of my family vacations uh, going there. But when the bombs were falling, he said, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Victory is ours. Victory is ours. You know what I think sometimes? We need to get back to the, to the gunpowder and the, and the grit of the word of God and learn how there are some things you've got to learn how to endure. Some things you've got to get in there and go through it. You're not some Holy Ghost, you know, tap dancing, whatever. You, you've got to learn to endure to the end. The Bible says, you must therefore endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Everybody say amen, would you? Every time I see an oak tree, Every time I see an oak tree, you know what I think in my brain? That's an acorn that wouldn't give up. That's an acorn that wouldn't give up. That's an acorn. You, you, you may have some 100-year-old oak trees in your yard. That is a, that's an acorn that would not give up. I, I got a little poem I love. It says, when you're discouraged and you're feeling a little bit blue, Take a look at a mighty oak and see what a nut can do. Come on, somebody. <laughs> let me give you a biology lesson. If you think you're a loser, let me give you a biology lesson. I'm going to do this generic because we have the kids in here. At the very beginning of your existence, there were millions of you. Let me just say it that way. There were millions of you. And all millions of you were racing to fertilize an egg. And you won. Come on, somebody. Look at me and say, you're one in a million. Just say, you're one, you're one in a million. You're one in a million. You're not some loser. God is doing something in your life. I love this. The Apostle Paul, what that man endured. What that man endured. How great it was. How great it was the day that he said, the Lord said, it's time. Time to come home. I love what he wrote in Timothy. He said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought. Everybody say fought. He said, I glided through. 
I skateboarded through. I just laid down and just kind of comforted my way through. He said, I have fought. I have fought the good fight. And I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is therefore laid up for me. Uh, uh, and, so, so he said, he said, listen, finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. Everybody say, look, look at yourself and say, that's me. That, that includes me. James 1 and 12 says, Blessed is a man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Listen, great it is to dream the dream when you stand in youth by the starry stream. But a greater thing it is to fight life through and at the end to say the dream was true. Can I tell you, Paul stood at the end of his life, he said, he said, listen, I have, I've done it. I have fought the fight. I have, I have finished my course. I've made it. I'm there. One of the greatest things I've learned about Jesus is he was real. And he became a man. And Hebrews 12 says it this way. I want the team, I want the music team, come on up. It says, looking on, oh, sorry, looking unto Jesus. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, look at this. When does it say we're looking, looking at, looking unto Jesus when, when he was born, looking at him during his, his, his childhood, looking at him, it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, here's what we're going to look, look at. We're going to look at him on the cross. You know what he did on the cross? Let me tell you something about the cross. The cross was not easy. He had to endure it. He endured it. Looking at Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. You know this, I've told you this before. You know, the pictures they do because of whatever, they stripped him totally. That's how they crucified people. They not only humiliated them and, and, and did that physically, but they did it emotionally. They did every way that you can think of to humiliate someone when they crucified him. The Bible says he did that despising. That despising means he, he didn't deal. He, he just did despising. And he has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Who for the faith? And I've always said this. See, when he was, when he was on the cross, the Bible says they came by and they shouted things at him. Others you saved, but you cannot save yourself. And I always thought about that. I said, there's never been a more true statement made. Oh, save himself, he could. But he couldn't save himself and save others. Others you save, but yourself you cannot save. Oh, say, he, he said, I could call legions, legions of angels. Legions. I, I did a math work on that one time. In the Old Testament, one angel killed 185,000. Legions of angels. He could have wiped out the known universe. Oh, he could have said one word. But instead of giving in to that, the Bible says, not my will, but thine be done. And the Bible says, listen, I always thought this. They jeered at him. You know, uh, you know if God's your father, da-da-da-da, all, all these things on the cross. I believe here's what happened. Here's, I believe this is how he endured the cross. I believe when the blood was coming down his eyes and burning his eyes, I think his vision blurred. He's hanging outside the walls of Jerusalem. He's outside the camp. And I believe, I believe he began to see the new Jerusalem <laughs> coming down out of heaven. 
when all those voices were shouting things at him, the thieves on the cross were saying things, and the one that never got saved was shouting, you know, blasphemous things. I believe his ears began to hear a new thing, a new sound, a new song, that he began to hear millions upon billions upon billions singing, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. The Bible says he endured. I had a friend one time, he was a president of a Bible college in San Antonio, Texas. And he had been in Japan with his father. And his father had run a Bible college in Japan and had ran it for many, many years. And growing up, he, uh, it was expected for him to take over the college from his dad. And uh, when he got to be a young man, he decided he saw his dad, the weight, the pressure, the, the burdens, and all that his dad was carrying to do what he was doing. He, he just decided, I'm not going to do this. And he took off to America. He left Japan, went to America. And he lived for almost a decade in America. And one day word got to him, your dad just had a heart attack. He's dying. You need to come home. So he caught the next flight he could out of America, flew to Japan. By his dad's bedside, and his dad had a semi-recovery, but his dad said, you know, I want to go home. I want to go to America. I want to die there. So he got his dad, and word got out to all. This had been decades and decades and decades of him doing a Bible college, and there was missionaries and pastors all over everywhere. Word got that he was leaving, and uh, they all met him at the train station. They put word out he's going to be leaving at this time, and all of his disciples, all those who came, and he said there were thousands, thousands crowded everywhere around that train station. And he said, my dad was sitting by the window, and I'm on the aisle seat, and my dad's looking out the window, and I'm looking out that the window, and I'm seeing my dad, and then I'm seeing the, the, the thousands. And he said, they all began to sing, we'll work till Jesus comes, and then we'll all be taken home. And he said, the louder the song became, he said, my dad got so emotional that he turned his face toward me. And he said, and he said, so they wouldn't see him weeping at the end. And he said, I'm looking at my dad weeping, and then I'm looking at it, the fruit of his labor. And he said, it was a picture that I never, ever got out of my mind. You know, I believe with all my heart that, you know, Jesus, when Jesus was on that cross, he saw the reward of his suffering. He saw what it would be produced. I believe when he said, I believe he saw the new Jerusalem. One of the things you need to know, let me see if I can do this. I used to be able to jump and jump up. I can't jump up anymore. I used to jump up and down. The Bible says there's coming, it won't be long. If Jesus is coming back soon, there is coming 1,000 years of earth. That's going to be unlike anything we ever heard in our lives. 1,000 years is about to, about to start. Let me tell you what's going to happen during that time. The devil is going to be bound. The Bible says God's going to take the devil, put him in a pit, bind him up. He's going to come back. He's going to kill everybody that's wicked. Everybody's gone, going to be gone. And for 1,000 years, everybody's going to live on the earth. It's going to be good. In fact, Isaiah says that if a child dies at 100 years old, it'll be a baby. They'll be considered a baby. Premature, it's premature death. The lion will lie down with the lamb. Your dogs won't fight no more. Your cats won't fight no more. Um, there'll be no temptation. Things are going to be fantastic. And many scholars believe it's at the end of that that 
the devil's loosed again for a little while, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, then there's an ending and then the new Jerusalem comes down. But many scholars believe the new Jerusalem will be visible during those thousand years, maybe up hovering up in the sky. And guess who will be living up in the new Jerusalem? You and I and all the saints before us and after us. And you know, I've always thought, I don't know what God's going to have us be doing, but there'll be days when, when I know that we'll leave heaven or the new Jerusalem, wherever we are, and we'll come down during those thousand years where we'll have glorified bodies and we'll be transformed and we'll be like him and, and, and we'll be, I believe we'll be maneuvering among the earth and, and, the, and there'll be just regular people just like me and you living here on the earth, thousand years. And, and, but it'd be so pleasant and so easy and, and, and no wars and no problems and no, the animal kingdom will be different and, and, and the, the devil's bound and, and it'd be so fantastic. And here you and I will pop in, pop out. And I just thought in my brain one time, I said, there's bound to be some little kid somewhere. I said, Mama, Mama, who, who, are, those, who are those beings? Who are, those, who are those beings? He said, well, son, the earth hadn't always been like it is right now. There was a time when the devil was loose and the demons were loosed. And they could do anything and, and they would go and they would tempt and they would buy. And there were illnesses and there were sicknesses. They are they that came out of the great tribulation. Come on, somebody. They are they that loved the Lamb, that followed Him wherever He went. Even in the darkest times and the hardest times, they still loved their God. They still followed Him when it was tough and it was hard, unlike it is today. And everybody said a great amen. Come on, give the Lord a good clap off. Would you do that? And love, I want everybody to stand. I want to sing this song one more time about is He worthy? Everybody say, is He worthy? Is He worthy? Is he worthy? And I'm going to tell you, there's something we need to remind ourselves of some things. Go ahead, let's sing that song again. I'll end up at the very end. Come on. Do you feel the world is broken? Me too. Do you feel the shadows deepen? through 
Father, we just kneel and, and bow on our hearts before you today. And we tell you that you are worthy. We thank you for this life that you've given us and this chance, Lord, to live for you. So we bless you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. 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 One more time. Give the Lord another good clap offering. God bless you.